Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Welcome to World Weekly with me, Ben Hall. After Paris, now Brussels. Twin suicide bomb attacks at the airport and the metro killed 35 people in the Belgian capital last week, raising fresh questions about the extent of ISIS operations in Europe and whether security services and law enforcement agencies are capable of containing the threat. The Brussels attacks took place only four days after Belgian police captured Salah Abdeslam, the key remaining suspect from the November attacks in Paris. And there are various links between some of the Paris and Brussels attackers, suggesting they were part of an operational network, if not exactly the same cell. It appears that the Belgian authorities failed to pick up on various warnings about the attackers and failed to track down known terrorist suspects who were hiding out only miles away from their headquarters in Brussels. Joining me to discuss the attacks and their ramifications are Peter Spiegel, our Brussels bureau chief, and Sam Jones, our defence and security editor. Sam, can I start with you first? What have we learnt about ISIS and the threat it poses to Europe? Well, it's been a very steep learning curve. I think mainly it's been all about how significant the threat ISIS poses is when you think back that there have been attacks occurring in Europe linked to ISIS uh, by ISIS sympathisers for you know a couple of years now. And then you had the Charlie Hebdo attacks, and there was an eventual link there to ISIS as well. It's surprising, really, that there hasn't been a greater sense of urgency to deal with this problem. And as has been illustrated by the attacks in Brussels, a network, a linked network, if not the same cell, was able to mount an attack in Paris, cause a huge amount of damage, terror, casualties. And then months later, in spite of the sort of combined resources and efforts of the Francophone intelligence services to try and to disrupt them, were able to do a similarly large-scale citywide attack again. And so this raises the question of, you know, what else is left to find? There's been a whole series of arrests around Europe in the wake of the Belgian attacks. So clearly there is a network here that is far far wider ranging than had been assumed. And I don't think yet, uh, certainly I don't have any sense from those I've been speaking with, that anybody necessarily feels they're on top of it or that we have the full extent of this problem mapped out. The broader picture is just the sheer numbers of returnees from Syria that Europe is now seeing. And there's the blowback, if you like, has begun to happen because the story for so long was about all of these Europeans that were going out to Syria. That's still happening. Europeans are still making it out there to fight with jihadis. But now there is equally a flow in reverse. Take the UK. Of the 800 or so individual citizens of the UK that have gone to fight in Syria, around 350, a bit more now, have come back already. It's roughly about half of all the foreign fighters that have gone out have come back. It's a similar sort of proportion around Europe. So that's a huge number of people to monitor, to catalogue, to check, and to try and work out the extent to which they are connecting with existing extremist networks, radicals, friends in some of these countries, and likely to pose problems. I mean, security agencies had warned for a long time about the threat of jihadi blowback. Why is it only dawning upon us now the extent of this threat then? I think it's happening a lot faster than anyone thought it would. So 
when you look at sort of previous instances in the case of Islamist terrorism, when there's been a large foreign fighter contingent that has gone out there from all over the world, take Afghanistan, for example, the translation time from that occurring to that creating a domestic terror threat has been years and years and years. You know, when you look at the sort of networks that were built up in the Afghan war against the Soviets, that was when the genesis of al-Qaeda began. That took years and years and years, you know, decades to get to sort of 9-11. And this is what intelligence agencies certainly here in the UK called the flash to bang is much shorter and part of that I suspect is probably to do with social media and the world we live in in that probably lots of our lives and the way we live them has got a lot faster and part of it is also again just the numbers of this I think the other key thing that people underestimated was the extent to which ISIS as an organization and as an ideology was really heavily focused on Iraq and Syria and there's a sort of slightly uh, inside baseball debate here that went on for a long time among specialists in this field about the ways in which ISIS was different from al-Qaeda and the degree to which ISIS was focused on the near enemy, i.e. the sort of Shiites, and on securing physical territory for a caliphate. And al-Qaeda was focused on the far enemy, i.e. hitting those furthest away, and then later on, years down the line, establishing a caliphate. And really, what ISIS has shown is that all such debates, they're old hat now. Their key thing with ISIS is momentum. And the more we push them back in Syria and Iraq, the more they need to do these kind of attacks far beyond the physical territory they control in order to try and maintain this brand and this sense of power and victoriousness. Peter, uh, much of the policy debate in the wake of the Paris November attacks was about the lack of proper coordination between European agencies, the, the lack of proper intelligence sharing. That seems less of an issue here. It seems to be more a question of Belgian policing. Were they really on top of this problem, given that it took four months to track down one of the key remaining Paris suspects uh, and only for him to be found not far from the centre of the capital? It, it depends on how you look at it. In one sense, yes. Obviously, four months, Salah Abdeslam was hiding in plain sight here in the centre of Brussels. But in talking to officials, both Belgian police and, and non-Belgians, who have worked on these kinds of things, say, look, if you, it's very difficult to find people like this. Remember, the search for the hunt for Osama bin Laden took years. I mean, you even talk to mafia police in Italy. Finding people who you know their name and where they're located can be incredibly difficult if the local population is not prepared to give them up. So in some extent, it is not surprising that this happened. In addition, at least, you know, three of the suicide bombers who have been identified were known to authorities here or should have been known, because they had warnings from Turkey about this and some of them didn't heed, were known to authorities to have links to the, the Paris bombers. So the question is, shouldn't they have done better rounding these up? Well, I guess the other point in this is at least they didn't know who these guys were and were looking for them, so we have to give them credit for that. But the point is, the Belgians will themselves admit that they spent about a decade under-resourcing their intelligence and security services. They cut the budget, they didn't provide the manpower, and Things did begin to change, as Sam said, after Charlie Hebdo. There was an incident here in Belgium a couple weeks later in a town called Vervier that didn't get a whole lot of attention at the time, but they actually broke up a cell that was run by Abdelhamid Abaoud, who was the, the man who was found out to be sort of the largest recruiter in Europe and, and the one who organized the Paris attacks. And from the intelligence that came out of that, they discovered that, yes, the age of the lone wolf is now over. This is a much more organized effort. And from that point, the Belgians started putting money into it, putting manpower into it. The problem is they're just behind the curve. And they just, you know, spending 18 months or two years building up your security services is not enough on a threat that is adapting and moving incredibly quickly. Belgium's a famously sort of decentralized country with lots of overlapping levels of government and different agencies. Has that been a factor? 
it has, and people I talk to who have worked directly with the Belgians say this is a problem both linguistically and bureaucratically. Again, not so sure that's different from many countries. Of course, post-September 11th, it came out very clearly that the FBI and the CIA weren't talking to each other, so this is not uncommon. The problem is, is frankly, post-attack, what has happened here is rather than say, we have to fix this, Belgium has descended into a very Belgium debate about whose fault was it? Was it the Francophone community? Was it the Flemish community? Particularly in, in Flanders, where you have a, an active separatist movement that is in a party that's a member of the government, they are pointing fingers at the Francophone community for being lax of the Arab communities in their midst. And then you have a lot of pointing the other direction, because there was a cell in, in Antwerp called Sharia for Belgium that also participated in some of these recruiting and sending foreign fighters to Syria. So unfortunately, you would think that after these attacks, you have a, a unified effort to sort of fix these problems, but instead you're having you know, a series of, of really nasty and, and petty fights that happen in Belgium periodically that is threatening to bring down the government, frankly. We've already had two ministers offer their resignations. So unfortunately for the Belgians, they're not managing it in a way that is productive right now. And much has also been made of the fact that Brussels is a very heavily Muslim city, 25% of the population, I think. To what extent is a problem of integration at the root of all of this, do you think? I mean, is Brussels any worse off than other big European cities in that regard? I would say not. And I also would say that although clearly disaffection and unemployment and all these other factors are contributing to the problem, it is not the basis of the problem. One of the interesting things here about Belgium is you have two separate Muslim communities that have been here for a long time, the Moroccan community and the Turkish community. And almost exclusively, we've seen the jihadis recruited in the Moroccan community. You don't have this in, in the Turkish community, even though both of them are equally deprived and equally segregated within Belgian society. So is there something more fundamental here? And what it really points to is the emergence of sort of charismatic recruiters who target their local communities. And so, yes, the disaffection and the isolation provides sort of the pool that there are ready uh, made recruits for these guys, but it takes these kind of recruiters to energize them. I would also say, unlike Paris, which has these banyuls who are on the outskirts of Paris that are really isolated from the rest of the city, the neighborhood of Molenbeek, which has become sort of symbolic of the problem in Brussels, is right in the center of town. It's not one of these sort of isolated communities that is sort of modern steel and glass and sort of public housing. It is a neighborhood that is, you know, full of the same sort of 19th century townhouses as the rest of the city is. It's physically connected to the rest of the city. And it's not a neighborhood that you would necessarily not go out to at night. It's definitely poor, but it's got fun restaurants, good food and whatnot. It is an integrated part of the city. Sam, the reaction to the Brussels attacks was one of shock and revulsion, but not really of surprise. It suggests that Europeans are sort of growing depressingly accustomed to these kind of attacks. Is there any reason for optimism that authorities have got a better grip on what they are now contending with? I think it is easy to overplay the sort of scaremonger about the threat. And, you know, there are points of light. There's a sense that finally the different sort of agencies in different countries are beginning to work much more closely. You know, Europol is sort of at the centre of quite a lot of information sharing now that goes on. There's talk of a database or an exchange of names of citizens that are known to have travelled to Syria being made available. There's progress on things like the PNR, the passenger name record, which is a database that is going to be set up pending a few things to iron out 
with the European Parliament of passenger records coming into Europe. So airlines will have to provide details of who's on the planes to this record. That should make a lot of things easier. And there's all this talk about strengthening the actual border security itself. So there are certainly things going on. There is also a lot of discussion at the moment at a policy level among interior ministries and uh, in, in the EU about how you tackle this threat. And as Peter was saying on those points about policing before and sort of, you know, making sure everyone's on the same page, that's at the crux of this. So the UK and the US went through a whole process of learning how to really join up intelligence and counterterrorism work and policing post 9-11 and 7-7. That was years ago. So they're the sort of ones that are saying this is what you need to do. And the problems that they are seeing now in Europe are the problems that they faced before. So it's not as if people are flailing around without a clue as to what direction we should head in. All of that said, the jihadi threat to Europe is not going to diminish. One cell has been broken up, one network has potentially been disrupted or damaged to a point where it can no longer function easily, but there are going to be others. So the guys at the centre of this, people like Abdul Hamid Aboud, were travelling all over Europe. He came to the UK. Some of the other members of this cell have been to places like Birmingham. One of them reportedly had photographs of major tourist sites and stadiums in the UK that he took back with him to Europe. They've been stopping off in Hungary, they've been stopping off in Germany. You know, so there is clearly a much broader network here, and there are other contacts here. This is only the sort of francophone element of it, perhaps, that we seem to have come to grips with at the moment. And ISIS, meanwhile, is not standing still. They are still sending people back here. They are only likely to ramp up their efforts particularly having seen how successful they've been. And as I said before, that's probably going to increase as they become more pushed in terms of holding territory in Syria and Iraq. Okay, my thanks to Peter Spiegel and Sam Jones. World Weekly is produced by Fiona Simon. Until next week. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Goodbye.